Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. So last week on Instagram, I asked if anyone wanted to hear about my experience of having uh, two ECGs and a tilt table test as part of my ongoing chest pain investigations. And the majority of those who voted said yes. It was something like 90% of you said yes. So I wanted to record this whilst the experience was fresh in my mind. For the past couple of years, I've been trying to reduce the number of like really personal episodes because they're not always relevant to you guys. And I want this to this podcast to be really like informative and not just like a, a diary. Um, but because I see POTS and master activation syndrome and chest pain and dizziness and stuff so much in our community, I'm hoping that by sharing my experience, it could help some of you guys who have to go through this. So if you're not sure why I had these tests, you can listen to episode 204. It's called The Thing That's Been Happening With My Heart and Why It's Important to Talk About in the Endo Community. Um, So as I said in my last episode about this, I am not a cardiologist and I am not a health coach specializing in heart disease or any heart-related conditions. As an endometriosis health coach, however, I do see a lot of postural tachycardia syndrome, POTS, and muscle activation syndrome, or MCAS, both of which can cause symptoms like chest pain, dizziness, shortness of breath, palpitations, etc. And so many of my clients do have to go through these processes to get the right diagnoses. So I recommend that you listen to my previous previous episode for more information on these conditions. And I've also linked to a couple of other episodes to help you with your own symptoms if you suffer the same. And I do have two articles coming out um, with lots of the research, but I don't know when they're going to be released. So um, I am at the mercy of EndoNet. So we'll see about that. So having said all of that, having that disclaimer, 
that I'm not a, a cardiologist. From what I gather, I didn't just have a standard ECG. I had two echocardiograms as well. So I'll explain the difference. An echocardiogram, according to the NHS, is a scan used to look at the heart and nearby blood vessels. It is an ultrasound scan that can look for heart damage and signs of conditions such as inflammation or structural issues. Um, I've linked to the NHS page for more information in the show notes on the type of issues that they can detect with an echocardiogram. There are a few types of echocardiograms, but the standard is known as a... Damn, I was going to look up how to say this before the episode, but I haven't. So let's just try. A transthoracic... Thoracic? Thoracic? I don't know. T-R-A-N-S-T-H-O-R-A-C-I-C. The word will be in the show notes. Um, Echocardiogram, where you are lying down on your side... And for ease of this podcast episode, I'm going to call it a resting echo because that's that's kind of what you're doing, right? You're resting. There's also a stress echo, which is what I did as well. And that's when the scan is performed during or just after exercise. And I did mine just after. Then we have the electrocardiogram, commonly known as an ECG. And according to the NHS, this checks your heart rhythms and electrical activity because your heart, like your heartbeat and stuff is actually, it's it's caused by electrical signals. So that's how we measure it. This test is the one you may normally think of when you think about heart tests. And it's the one where you have lots of sticky patches over your chest with wires coming from the patches and the wires are attached to a machine. So those patches, they're actually sensors that pick up on your heartbeat and rhythm and those electrical signals to check that everything is operating normally. So there are a few types of ECGs, but what I had was a rest and ECG where I was lying down and a stress ECG. So just like with the echocardiograms, I had one lying down and one whilst I was exercising and they happened at the same time. So I had the ECG and the echocardiograms at the same time. So these two tests were looking at whether there's something going on with my heart and I had these performed on the same day and I had the tilt table test separately. So I'll get to that afterwards. Now, as I explained in my previous episode, in the past, I guess, two or so months, I've managed to get my chest pain and racing heart to a milder place. Um, It's less frequent, it's less persistent and much, much less scary. I'm no longer having pain that causes me to like gasp out loud and stops me in my tracks or even causes me to fall over or debilitates me to the point where like I can't really do anything else. I can't even walk across the room. That's not happening anymore. Um, So as a result, I was quite nervous that these tests would miss what this chest pain is doing at the time when it kicks in. Um because these tests were short, right? They're not a full, they're not a full day, 24 hour ECG. Um, and as it comes on in specific moments, I was worried that the tests would miss it, especially because the pain comes on after specific triggers. So um, it comes on after I use a face tool, which uses electrical muscle stimulation um, to basically prevent wrinkles. It's like a eye mask by face gym. And after I eat high histamine foods. And just as a side note, if that's confusing, devices that use electrical muscle stimulation are not supposed to be used by people with heart conditions 
or with things like a pacemaker because the electrical signals could interfere with the electrical signals of the heart um, or the pacemaker. So it took me quite a while to figure that out. And obviously I didn't think I had a heart condition when I first started using it. And I still don't know if I have a heart condition, but when I stopped using the EMS machine is when I start and I combined it with um, high dose quercetin. So I was taking high dose quercetin and I stopped using the, um, the device. That's when I started experiencing relief. So that does make me question, like, it seems like it's heart related, right? <laughs> but anyway, it occurred to me that I could be spending £2,500 on these tests, which may not pick up on anything if I don't get the pain at the time. So I asked my doctor's secretary if I should induce the symptoms. And once I got the confirmation, it was only a day beforehand. I mean, I was kind of annoyed that this just wasn't told. Like, I had I not asked this question, I don't think anyone would have told me to do this. But once I asked the question, they were like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I only got the confirmation a day beforehand because we were kind of going back and forth on email about this. And it only occurred to me about three days before the test. So I didn't have a long time to build up the amount of histamine and the exposure to the EMS eye mask. I also didn't want to have so much pain that I ended up in A&E before we even got to the test and that I would have to cancel the test. So I was quite nervous of how to balance the whole thing and get the results without being woken up the night beforehand with extreme chest pain, like I have done like so many times this year, or spending a two hour car trip on the way there feeling like I was having a heart attack. I really didn't want to go through that. So I ate some high histamine foods the day before. I ate a lot of high histamine foods the morning of. I kind of only ate histamine foods. Then as we got nearer to the hospital in the car, I wore the eye mask. Now, unfortunately for safety, you can only wear the EMS mask for 10 minutes at a time. So I was restricted with how much I could expose myself to it. If I had known a week or two before the test I needed to induce the symptoms, I would have booked some time off and spent a week building up the intensity of the mask and wearing it once every day. Um, as the worst of my chest pain came when I had been wearing the mask consistently on a daily basis and I had built up to the highest frequency. So if I had taken time off, then I wouldn't have had to worry so much about the pain coming on before the test because I wouldn't have been working and worrying about like, oh, what if I have to go to A&E and I have to cancel a client? And I just didn't, you know, I wouldn't have had to worry about trying to maintain work when not feeling well, but it's done now. Um, so anyway, that 24 hour buildup was quite stressful because even though I can tolerate more histamine foods now, Large amounts make me feel quite unwell with numerous symptoms from like dizziness to bladder pain to nausea. And additionally, I was, of course, scared of having that extreme chest pain again because it was such a horrible experience. And I don't know what is happening when it's happening. Um, and also every car journey that I go on is traumatic for me because of my post-traumatic stress disorder. So I was also worried about a long car journey to the hospital as well. And I mean, that's a whole side note. It's not really related to the test specifically, but I tell you this because as you all very know very well, these tests don't happen in a vacuum. We tend to have to navigate work, 
our fears, our appointments, and so much more when we're going for different tests. And the management of all of these parts can be really exhausting and stressful. And I will say that that was my experience. I was just trying to juggle a lot that was necessary to do for these tests. Had money not been an obstacle, I guess I would have stayed the night in London, near the hotel the night beforehand, and had taken time off work and just spent a week focusing on making the entire experience as easy as possible, but also, you know, spent this time really focusing on trying to get these symptoms to come up. Because even though these tests aren't distressing, the emotional weight of them is quite a lot to carry, like knowing that you're getting your heart checked and then couple that with trying to work on your laptop in the car, right? I was like trying to get work done on the way there and on the way back, being scared of being in the car, whilst also trying not to worry about whether I'm gonna get bad chest pain or not, and then generally not feeling well from the histamines. It's quite a lot to juggle. So, um, you know, if this ever has to happen again, God forbid it doesn't, um, I would hopefully be in the position where I could like take the time off and pay for a hotel the night before and things like that. So anyway, we got to the hospital and this was London Bridge Hospital and it was very nice. A uh, very easy and smooth process on arriving. So that's great. And my first test was the Reston Echo and ECG. And so I was asked to change into my sports clothes and lock all of my belongings in a locker. And also, FYI, Chris was asked to wait in reception. So they came to get me. Chris had to wait in reception. I changed into my sports clothes. Um, I'm not sure if he could have been able to come with me. I didn't ask because I'm just so used to having to do these things on my own and also people not being allowed to be with you um, since COVID. But, you know, if you need someone present, I'm, I'm sure you could ask and just check ahead of time. So anyway, I was met by, I believe, her badge red cardiac physiologist, and she was very kind, and she asked me to remove my bra. Um, total side note, I don't wear bras and I don't have a sports bra because I cycle or I walk as my cardio and I don't have big boobs. And thank God I didn't buy one um, because I would have taken it, had to have taken it off anyway. But I had been intending to buy a sports bra because I was thinking like, oh shit, I'm going to be running on the treadmill. But I didn't have time to buy one. So anyway, I had to take my tops, my uh, tops off. Um, I was wearing like two crop tops and put on a hospital gown that was open at the chest. And then she stuck on, I believe, 10 sensors attached to wires. So I'm just telling you that I had to take the, my top off in case any of you guys don't know what to expect or are nervous about that um, or are uncomfortable with that. I was then told to lie down on my left-hand side with my left arm above my head. And I think my right arm was just kind of like lying on my side. A cardiologist then came in the room and put some gel across my chest, pretty much on and around my left breast. And then he used an ultrasound tool, which I guess was similar in shape to like a jade roller, you know, those face rollers that everyone uses now. And he would press it in certain positions around my heart. Or I guess it could look like a deodorant stick. Um, and he would hold it for a while to scan the area, maybe kind of tilt it sideways and like move it a little bit. And I would say that this took about 10 to 15 minutes. And what was so interesting is that the one of the first places that he went to is exactly the spot where I get the chest pain and where the chest pain stems from, like exactly. 
So again, it really does make me think that there's an artery, like an artery is spasming when I get this pain, like in Kunos syndrome, which I talked about in the, in the other episode, but who knows, we'll see. I was told that everything looked normal on the scan and there was no damage. That's obviously great news. But again, as I expressed in my last podcast episode about this, I worried about the fact that I was experiencing no symptoms during this time, which was really frustrating. So despite having, you know, trying to induce all of these symptoms in the car and the morning of, I didn't get any chest pain. I should also mention, by the way, if you're uncomfortable with having your chest out in front of the doctor, you are like, you're lying down facing away from them and they have their arm across you with a tool, like holding the tool and they're looking at the screen. They're not, they're scared, like they're look at the, looking at the screen, not at you. So you, you're not like lying there with your boobs in their face basically is what I'm trying to say. So next up in the same room, they then moved me to a treadmill. Um, I had a blood pressure monitor attached to my arm and I think from memory, a pulse monitor attached to my finger, but Perhaps I'm remembering that incorrectly because I'm not sure why you would need that with all of those sensors attached. Um, I don't know if they do two different things, but I think there was something attached to my finger. Anyway, I was still topless with a gown over me that was open, but I was pretty well covered. So just for anyone wondering or nervous about that part. Um, so you, you, like, you don't have like, a, you can't wear a support bra or something. So, but you're not really running. So just keep that in mind. So it was explained to me that I would mostly be walking at an incre at increase in speeds with an increase in incline. So as if I was walking up a hill that was getting steeper and I was going faster and faster. Um, I would be at one pace and one incline for like three minutes and then it would increase for another three minutes. And I think that the test was like, it was between 10 to 15 minutes long. I was allowed to stop at any point if it got too much as well. So it's not like you're forced to stay on it if you feel like your heart is pounding and you can't breathe. They basically wanna take you to your limit. Um, but I, I didn't reach my limit, so I just kept going. So the first three minutes was fine, it was easy. The next three minutes I began to feel uncomfortable. Not, I didn't get chest pain. Um, and I, I should give you guys some context here. I don't know if I explained it in the last episode about this. I don't think I did. I get out of breath and find my heart races very, very easily. If you're on the phone to me or you're walking with me, I'm talking whilst I'm walking, you will notice that I start to have tr trouble talking. Um, I will talk, but I'm like kind of gasping between talks, even on like a kind of slow walk. Um, I get out of breath and I find my heart races very, very easily. The chest pain, however, isn't brought on by exercise. If it's bad and I started walking, for example, um, so if I like started getting the chest pain and I went out for a walk, I often wouldn't be able to carry on walking because it makes it worse, but the chest pain doesn't come on from the walking. But shortness of breath and a pounding heart does come on from walking or exercise. Now, it's not because I'm unfit. I started working out as a teenager and for most of my teens and twenties, I also did heavy cardio like spin and the stepper for an hour at a time. Um, now because of my knees, I generally do walking and cycling every day. Plus I have a trampoline, um, like a mini exercise trampoline, though I, I haven't really used that much in the past month or two. Um, and I train and I strength train for about 30 minutes, uh, usually using weights, resistance bands, or my body weight. And I do all of this about five to six times a week. So I'm not unfit. Um, that's not the problem. 
but I literally only have to go up the road or up some stairs before I'm out of breath. And it's not just exercise that brings this on either. Hot baths and showers take me to the point of feeling faint. I've never fainted in a shower or a bath, but I feel faint. And as if I've run a marathon because my heart is pounding so hard in my chest and I feel like I can't get enough oxygen into my lungs. And this, of course, is quite common in POTS. So this is one of the reasons why POTS has been investigated in my case. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. Quite quickly, I felt out of breath and my heart was pounding, but it tends to get much, much worse when I'm working out at home. So when they asked me if I wanted to keep going, I did. Um, And I I will say that they both, maybe I'm misinterpreting this, but they both looked a little bit concerned at how quickly I responded like that. The cardiologist was like, oh, are you you okay? And I just kind of dismissed it. Like, "Eh, I'm just hot. Um, I don't know why I didn't say... I, I'm not sure why I just wasn't more honest. Um, but anyway, they didn't say anything other than asking me if I was okay. So it pretty much continued this way. I felt my heart rate would go up every like with every increase and I found it a bit harder to breathe. But again, it, it never really felt as bad as I have felt it before at home um, or how bad it would feel like when I would feel, when I would get in the shower or when I'm working out really hard with weights, kind of doing squats and lunges and stuff. So I kept going and they would ask me if I was okay. And I'd be like, yeah, I can keep going. Um, and I think maybe it was probably unusual to see someone of my weight and age struggle so much with a walking exercise. Um, I mean, they did say, oh, you know, we're pushing you hard. So it's not that unusual but they also kept checking I was like hey maybe that's just maybe that's what they would normally do I don't know um so during this time my blood pressure would be take was being taken at regular intervals so I would they would keep my arm down whilst they were doing this and I would hold on to treadmill with one hand um it is a little bit tricky to do that because you're going quite fast but it's not impossible or anything to worry about I'm just kind of giving you guys a detailed overview Um, and as we neared the last few minutes, I looked over and now I don't know anything about beats per minute, per minute. Um, or at least I didn't at the time, but I noticed that my heart rate looked very high. Like it was somewhere between, I wish I'd taken note of this more, but it was somewhere between 191 beats per minute and 200 beats per minute. Like it didn't reach 200, but I think maybe it got up to 198 or 196, But honestly, I can't quite remember. Um, I just remember thinking that I feel like it shouldn't get much higher. And it was like, oh, that's near 200. Um, I will say that I never needed to break out into a run. So I walked the entire time. And I also wonder if that's a bit weird that I was walking and yet my heart rate was nearly 200 beats per minute. Um, 
They told me it varies from person to person. Like some people find that they eventually need to break into a run and others it's just a very fast walk. Um, so maybe that's not that unusual. Again, I don't know. Um, and then the test came to an abrupt halt and I was quickly ushered back to the hospital bed and I lay down on my left side, back into that resting echo position and another shorter echo was performed. Following that, I was asked to sit up and my heart rate was monitored for the next five minutes. Now, I really wasn't given much information except that my echo looked normal um, and that my heart rate exceeded my target heart rate and what they had expected me to reach, but that it wasn't dangerous. Um, they also said that my heart rate was taking a while to come down, but they weren't concerned about that. So I'll get back to the heart rate pieces towards the end of the episode, um, but that might be relevant. Now, because I didn't get any get any of the pain symptoms, which is my main issue, or and I didn't get any of the palpitations either, the cardiac physiologist did think that a seven-day ECG test would be a good idea. And so um, they recommended that I speak to my doctor, Dr. Gould, about this, which I have done. I, I've sent him an email and I'm just waiting to hear back from him about that to see if I can try and, you know, replicate the symptoms and get those recorded. So after the tests were finished, I had a quick shower because I was literally dripping with sweat. I am the type of person who will not shower in a public place. And as I arrived, I was like, hell no, am I, I, I'm not showering. I needed a shower. Like I was tripping. Um, and then we headed home and I did start to feel quite unwell on the way back. Um, I didn't get any heart pains. I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, are you kidding me? I've had this chest pain for so long and I can't get it today. But I just had all of my other histamine symptoms, bladder pain, dizziness. I felt really, really sick. I felt heavily fatigued yet wired and anxious. I just felt very unwell and wiped out. Um, I don't think the everyday experience of an echo or ECG would feel like that. Honestly, I don't. They're pretty straightforward tests. Um, of course, the stress test is tiring, but it's really just 12 or maybe maybe it's 15 minutes. I can't really remember. It's just a fast walk up the hill, which you can stop at any point. I think I ended up feeling so unwell because I was stressed about fitting, working around it. I had the car journey to deal with, the pain itself that I was worried about, and I had to eat a lot of my um, trigger foods that do make me feel unwell. Um, and on top of that, I get a really bad car sickness um, and I was working on my laptop in the car too. So it was quite a lot to manage. And by the time I got home, I was just I was just a mess um, and I had to cancel my, um, I had some work to do and I had to cancel that. So the next day we had to return for the tilt table test. Um, and the reason why I had to do it separately is because I think like the stress test could have affected the tilt table test or maybe it's just too much for the body, but they said it's best to do them separately. Um, and that is a test for postural tachycardia syndrome. So to remind you, POTS is a condition that falls under dysautonomia, which means a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system, the part of the nervous system that controls involuntary functions like our heart rate and breathing. It causes an abnormal increase in heart rate when someone goes from sitting to standing and is accompanied by symptoms such as dizziness, chest pain, or shortness of breath as some examples. And then symptoms can vary from being mild to debilitating. 
So here's a definition and diagnostic criteria of POTS according to the charity POTS UK. So a patient must experience POTS symptoms mostly when upright over a period of at least three months. Um, they must have a sustained increase in heart rate of greater than 30 beats per minute within 10 minutes of standing. Those aged 12 to 19 years require an increase of at least 40 beats per minute. And these criteria may not apply to those with a low heart rate when resting. And there is usually no drop in blood pressure on standing. And many symptoms are experienced in the upright position, usually standing and relieved by lying down. I have to say that this is a little confusing because some sources do also claim, including one of my trainings, that a drop in blood pressure when going from sitting to standing is also required to be diagnosed with POTS. Um, but POTS UK address this on this definition page that I'll link to in the show notes and state that a drop in blood pressure is not required for a diagnosis, but can follow an increase in heart rate with some POTS patients. So I think maybe things have been updated. So a tilt test is a test where you are strapped down onto a bed so that you don't fall and there's a foot rest for your feet at the bottom and you are tilted upwards from a horizontal position. Some sources say that you are tilted to a 60 to 70 degree angle whilst others say 90 degrees. I'm not sure what I was tilted to so you'll need to check with your doctor if you want to know what it will be for you. You are then held there for up to 45 minutes and during this time your blood pressure and heart rate is monitored and you're asked to report symptoms. The idea of the tilt test is to, to essentially induce symptoms to see if it's a position change that causes them. This means in people with severe POTS symptoms they may faint during this test which is why you are strapped onto the bed, right? Um, if, you do if you do faint or you have very bad symptoms, um, the test will end early because it will normally indicate a positive test if accompanied by an increase in heart rate of more than 30 beats per minute. So mine was a 45 minute test. I had the sensors attached to me, again, like just like with the UCG, but this time I was allowed to keep my crop top on. I just had to re remove my other top that I had layered over it. Um, I lay down on a typical hospital hospital bed, but it just had this sort of foot footrest at the end. Um, and I had a blood pressure monitor attached to my finger and my arm. And then I was then strapped down to the bed, but not uncomfortably so. Now going into this test, I, I was nervous. Um, honestly, I was doubtful as to whether the test was showing anything at all. As I said before, I resonate with every single symptom of POTS, except that they aren't always or aren't usually brought on by standing, or at least I don't think they are. Um, I feel like I had them randomly, though there are times when I do notice that the dizziness comes on or the fast heart rate comes on with position changes. Usually if I go from crouching or being on the floor to standing, or if I've had some histamines or caffeine, and then I go from like sitting to standing or lying from standing, like lying to standing, I think is probably the bigger one. Um, and that's when I notice it. It's almost as if the whole thing has been exaggerated. Um, like these things are the things that bring the symptoms out when I change positions, like caffeine, histamines, or like quite extreme position changes, like going from crouching to standing rather than just going from my desk to standing up, right? Um, 
And I mean, this could still be caused by POTS, as many POTS patients can't can't tolerate caffeine um, and have MCAS, which causes issues with histamines. But I just don't come across as a classic POTS case, despite having all of these symptoms, because I couldn't I couldn't categorically say like, yes, they come on with position changes. So I'd kind of got into the place in the past few weeks where I was doubtful that it was POTS. But as soon as the table tilted, I started feeling lightheaded and short of breath. And I was actually really surprised by these symptoms. I, I really didn't expect it to happen. Um, and I felt this shortness of breath and chest tightness on and off for about the first three quarters of the test. Um, but it wasn't persistent. And every time it got worse or changed, I had to communicate it to the physician. Um, and the final quarter, I started to get very tired and sleepy. I thought maybe it was because my body had relaxed into the position and my brain had kind of given up fighting, not having to do anything. But I didn't communicate that to her very well. I, I, I mentioned it briefly. Um, but now I look back, I really think I should have emphasized it more because it was almost like I was drowsy, like I'd taken medicine and I was drowsy. And since the test, I've read that this is the experience of some POTS patients with the tilt test. So I'm kind of kicking myself because I dismissed it as that like I was just starting to relax or something. Um, it certainly could have been that I just relaxed into it, but I do wish I'd made it clearer how noticeable and dramatic it was now. Um... Annoyingly, I didn't have any chest pain yet again, and the dizziness and the racing heart weren't anywhere near as bad as that they can get. I, you know, they were kind of fleeting moments. Um, in terms of how I felt about the test itself, I was quite unnerved by being strapped down to the bed. I'm not really sure why. I don't know. It kind of reminded me of Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> like being strapped down. Um, at first, it was actually a little too tight and I couldn't breathe properly because I couldn't expand my lung, lungs fully. It wasn't like I couldn't breathe. I was just like, oh, that's a bit tight. Um, but she quickly adjusted it as soon as I told her and then that was fine. Um, you also can't talk and have to keep very still because they can affect your heart rate. So it's a very strange feeling to realize that you have to stare at the same spot on the wall for the next 45 minutes with no stimulus whatsoever and no ability to talk or move unless you absolutely have to. And I didn't know that until I got up into the upright position. So it was a little bit of a adjustment to be like, oh God, this is it now for 45 minutes and I can't see the time. There was no clock. So I was just like, it was very weird. Um, I also have knee issues and find that my legs get very heavy when standing on them for really any more than 10 minutes. And so after a while, my legs and knees got quite painful and uncomfortable. Um, with POTS patients, it is typical for them to have leg swelling and heavy legs because the blood is struggling to flow back up the body. But I don't seem to have swelling despite having the heaviness and the broken veins that usually accompany the swelling. So again, it's another sign, yet not sign of POTS. It's really frustrating. Um, and generally, I just didn't feel right. I kept having this urge, like a physical urge to sit down. And it was almost like instinctive. Like if I sit down, then I'll feel better. It's almost like that's what my brain and body was saying to me, which, like I said, is unusual because I didn't think that these symptoms came from position changes. Um, maybe it was a bit of a, a similar thing to like a placebo effect. Like I had told, I've been told that symptoms would come on with this change. So 
I was almost imagining this need to sit down. I don't know, but I just, just didn't feel good. Um, after the test, she said that she would send the results to Dr. Gore, but I pushed her a little and she sort of reluctantly said that every time I mentioned that I was having symptoms, my heart rate had increased. Um, I have no idea whether that was an increase that was sustained and above 30 beats per minute, per minute, which would indicate POTS or whether it was just random spikes in heart rate. Um, I didn't ask her that because I didn't know that that's what they're looking for at the time. Um, and either way, she was quite reluctant to give full information away to me um, and said that I needed to discuss it with Dr. Gore. And in her opinion that this was, she did say in her opinion that this was related to heart rate and not blood pressure um, as that stayed normal throughout. So, I mean, that sounds suggested of POTS from what, you know, the diagnostic criteria um, indicates. But I, I kind of wonder, had it been a clear positive, maybe she would have just said that to me. I don't know, maybe they have policies against that, but had it, I just feel like had it been like a definitive yes, then firstly, would I have been up there for 45 minutes because probably would have been clearer earlier on. Um, and would she have not just told me that? I don't know. So I thought it was interesting that both tests showed some increases in my heart rate, um, despite them not being levels to, you know, cause alarm. So I actually have a home ECG device. It's called Cardia K, spelled with a K, um, which prior to these appointments, I couldn't get it to work. Um, but the physiologist told me to turn off some of the nearby plug sockets and electrics and it should start to work. And so I did that and I, I've now gotten it to work most of the time. Um, and I was curious to see what my heart rate was doing during showers and baths and exercising because it does feel like my heart rate increases a lot. And now that we've seen these reports of it, I was like, hmm, okay, what's going on during these times? Now I've only just started recording it, but um, I was curious about my heart rate in the bath the other day because it reached 162 beats per minute. I stupidly didn't record my heart rate before I got in the bath, but I will say that rest, uh, your rest and heart rate, rate shouldn't be above 100 beats per minute. Um, but I started feeling my heart rate un was kind of racing. My heart was racing uncomfortably. And so I jumped out of the bath and it was about 110 beats per minute by this point. So I got back in and across the next 15 minutes, I kept recording it and it went to 162 beats per minute. Now it is normal for your heart rate to go up in the bath and in hot weather, but according to one doctor I spoke to in one of my colleague community groups, it shouldn't really go up by more than 20 beats per minute. That's just one doctor, so I could be wrong. I also submitted this reading to Cardia for a, a cardiologist to, to review, like that's an option. And I mean, they didn't give me much info. They just recommended that this was investigated um, and that I send it on to my doctor within 24 hours, which I did. So it might be fine, but it might also be something to do with this unusual spike in heart rate. I'm going to keep monitoring it. Um, so I'm going to use the cardio device more frequently. I'm, not, I'm also going to try and get a pulse monitor that I can wear during exercise because the cardio mobile devices, like you can't wear it and you have to sit down to use it. So it's a bit of a pain. You have to sit down, take your trousers off, put it on your knee with your fingers touching it and or your or on your ankle. So it's not very practical. I can't keep doing that whilst I'm exercising. Um, 
And I am also waiting to hear back from Dr. Gore about a seven day ECG, um, which, you know, two of the physicians suggested. Um, though that is another £1,700. So I'd need to get the finances together to do that because I don't, I don't have that to spare. Um, but I feel like it would worth be worth it given that I didn't have any of the symptoms during the test. Like I didn't, I didn't get the heart pain and palpitations during the tests. So overall, I would say that the tests aren't invasive, but they can be emotionally and physically taxing depending on your symptoms. I personally found that I just felt a bit vulnerable and unwell after my tests. Um, as I said, a lot of that I think was from was to do with the histamines that I had to eat. But if you think that you might feel unwell, um, I suggest that you have someone with you, you're not driving, you have food with you, plenty of fluids, and you plan a comfortable, comforting and restful day or afternoon ahead of you after tests. And just clear your calendar in case, as like I said, I ended up having to cancel appointments because I just didn't feel well enough. Now I've had these tests, if I ever needed them again, hopefully I won't, I wouldn't hesitate to have them. They're not like, you know, they weren't traumatic, they weren't scary. Um, and I would feel less nervous doing them, but I would just do a lot more prep ahead of time and ensure that I had the space to recover from them afterwards. Um, so that's it. Uh, I hope this is helpful to kind of get a walk, like I've kind of walked you through the entire experience. Um, I'm not sure when I'll have more info or even if we're close to an answer at all, but hopefully I'll be able to offer some kind of update soon. Um, if you are also going to be going through these tests soon, a couple of you have reached out to say that you are, then um, let's chat. Hit me up on Instagram. Um, I do get a lot of messages on Instagram, so I can't always respond to all of them, but I will. I do try to. It is a lot to balance with like clients and students and, and members and recording the podcast and things like that. But I do try to get back to as many people as I can. Um, so let's chat about it. And I hope this has been a helpful episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world 